It's Monday, May 7th, and this is The Daily Dive. We have another big confirmation hearing coming up on Wednesday, as Gina Haspel will sit before the Senate in an effort to become the first woman to lead the CIA. Reports have said that late last week, she signaled she may withdraw her nomination over her connection to the controversial CIA interrogation program. Meanwhile, President Trump's lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, continues to clarify remarks made from his recent media blitz. We will speak to political reporter Lewis Nelson for the latest. And on Hawaii's Big Island, residents are dealing with the aftereffects of the eruption of the Kilauea volcano. Fissures are opening in the ground and spewing out lava, while noxious gases are also being released into the air. Residents have been evacuated and the situation remains dynamic. We'll speak to Dylan Anchetta with Hawaii News Now about what's next for residents living on the Big Island. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. With regard to the nomination of Gina Haspel, I am uh, troubled by her participation in the black ops site in Thailand. The quote from one of the interrogators says that Gina Haspel said, Good job. I like the way you're drooling. It adds to the realism. I'm almost buying it. You wouldn't think a grown man would do that. When you read that, sort of the joyful glee at someone who's being tortured, I find it just amazing that anyone would consider having this woman at the head of the CIA. Joining us now is Lewis Nelson. He's a reporter for Politico. Coming up on Wednesday, we have another confirmation hearing. It's going to be Gina Haspel. She is the nominee to head the CIA. We got some reports, the Washington Post was saying, that she was a little hesitant and she might withdraw. Gina Haspel is reportedly uh, late last week went to the White House and, and basically offered to withdraw herself from consideration to be the next CIA director. Essentially, uh, she's been under fire ever since she was nominated for her role under a previous administration. She's a longtime CIA official and was involved in uh, those secret CIA facilities where uh, terrorist detainees were waterboarded, was involved in the destruction of tapes of certain uh, of, of waterboarding and other uh, enhanced interrogation tactics, things like that. She's been in the agency for 33 years, and they say most of it has been undercover. And, and what you were just alluding to, uh, other than that, though, we don't really know much about what she's had done during the CIA, her time at the CIA. Confirmation hearings bring out uh, a certain amount of uh, information that otherwise might not be made public. And especially one as high profile as, as Gene Haspel, whose confirmation is, is very far from certain. She was saying that she didn't want to damage the reputation of the CIA or her own. But, it, you know, going back to things that we do know about her in the destruction of those tapes of you know various people's interrogations, she got approval for that. That's right. I mean, you know, I think it's important to remember that it's that there's a lot of I guess a good way to describe it is sort of that old cliche about hindsight being 2020 and that all these enhanced interrogation techniques were were approved at the time, were deemed legal by the George W. Bush administration. And so it's it's only after the fact now that especially Democrats, but also uh, Republicans have been outspoken in, in criticizing that enhanced interrogation program. And it's the sort of thing that has brought her confirmation into question. Right. And White House officials say that everything's back on track. She's going to go through the confirmation hearing. Is there anything that we know about senators that might be not willing to approve her? The one senator who is the, the really key vote is going to be Senator Rand Paul. 
the Republican from Kentucky. He sort of holds a unique set of views within the Republican Party and is especially concerned about issues of torture. And said, and he said he uh, he will not support Gina Haspel. Threatened for a long time not to support former CIA director uh, Mike Pompeo to be Secretary of State before sort of ultimately falling in line. Uh, with the rest of his party on that one. Democrats in general have been skeptical, and uh, that skepticism has seemingly only grown as uh, the confirmation process or the sort of pre-confirmation process has has gone underway. But there's a a razor-thin GOP majority in the Senate. It's 51-49. But that includes uh, Senator John McCain, who is in Arizona receiving treatment for cancer. So it's really 50-49 the Republicans can't afford to lose a single vote and still confirm Gene Haspel to be the CIA director. Right. I don't know when the president uh, learned about it. He could have learned about it after uh, or not connected the whole thing at, at that time. The reality is those are not facts that worry me as a lawyer. Those don't amount to anything. What, what is said to the press. That's political. What matters to it's me okay as a to lawyer is the press. Uh, gee, I don't know. You, you know a few presidents who did that. I don't think this president has done that. But in any event, that's not the crime. The crime is, was it a campaign contribution? Not a campaign contribution. Let's move on to Rudy Giuliani. Last week, he hit the media circuit and came out really strong. All of a sudden, uh, he acknowledged that the president repaid Michael Cohen for the $130,000 plus that he paid off to Stormy Daniels, the porn star. And then it turned into this big thing where, you know, Rudy Giuliani didn't know the facts and he had to make some retractions and try to clarify his stuff. So what has happened since then? I think the lesson Rudy Giuliani learned is the lesson that Sean Spicer learned and that Sarah Huckabee Sanders has learned and that a lot of people who work, who act as spokespeople for the Trump administration have learned, which is that it is very difficult to speak on behalf of President Donald Trump, who with a tweet or with a, uh, you know, sort of an impromptu press conference on the way, getting on a helicopter on your way out of town, can upend whatever messaging you may have put out on his behalf. I think there are a lot of confused uh, people inside the inside the White House and, and elsewhere, by all accounts, from from reporting uh, from a lot of different sources that Rudy Giuliani sort of raised a lot of eyebrows with, with going out uh, a little bit of a limb and, and sort of dramatically shifting the messaging from the president's outside legal team. Giuliani goes on to ABC's This Week on Sunday. He basically says, you know, what if Mueller wants to subpoena the president? And he says, oh, we might invoke the fifth. He doesn't have to comply with the subpoena. When I'm facing a situation with the president and all the other lawyers are, in which every lawyer in America thinks he'd be a fool to testify. I've got a client who wants to testify. Please don't. He said it yesterday. And, you know, Jay and I said to ourselves, my goodness, I, you know, we, I hope we get a chance to tell him the risks that he's taking. Uh, so he may testify. Rudy Giuliani pointed to, you know, past uh, resistance from the subpoena. There's a, there's a little bit of legal precedent here involved with President Bill Clinton, who was similarly resistant to a subpoena when he was involved in some legal issues Back in the back in the nineties, he wound. Although President Clinton wound up sitting uh, with a grand jury for two and a half hours, a little less than three hours, and taking questions and things like that. The issue here is going to be. I think there is a, a. There are still remain some some unsettled legal questions about whether you can subpoena the president of the United States or not. Giuliani was, in essence, I think it's it's easy to forget now that he is sort of ballooned into this into the most prominent figure on uh, the president's legal team was brought on specifically for one purpose, which was to hammer out whether or not the president was going to sit for an interview with special counselor Mueller. And that even Uh, looks like it's falling apart. He said, I don't know if I would recommend that he do that anymore. 
since those questions came out in the New York Times, everybody's been a lot more hesitant to have the president sit with Mueller. And Rudy Giuliani himself has said as much, has said that it is less, you know, he is less likely now uh, to recommend that the president sit down with Mueller than he was before those questions came out. Still, I think, the, you know, the president has, has continued to say that he's eager to and interested in sitting down with Mueller, but has sort of caveated that by saying that he also wants to make sure that things are going to be fair. And, you know, the, the normal sort of complaints that he says about uh, the investigation being a witch hunt, he doesn't, you know, he's concerned about that. But, uh, you know, I think it does remain very much an open question whether the president's going to sit down with the Mueller investigation. Those questions, though, uh, like Rudy Giuliani said, certainly suggest that, that there's a, a breath to the investigation uh, and a breath to the questions that they want to ask of the president that his legal team, uh, chiefly Giuliani, has, has said that the, the president doesn't want to get involved in such a wide-ranging conversation. Rudy Giuliani has called it a perjury trap, essentially. Lewis Nelson, reporter for Politico, thank you very much for joining us today. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Anytime. The bottom line is that we've got additional outbreaks of lava within Leilani subdivision, just as we anticipated. So the situation remains dynamic down there. The prognosis is for this to continue. We see no slowdown in activity. Our seismic and geodetic data coming from the region still indicate magma accumulating below the general area. Joining us now is Dylan Ancheta with Hawaii News Now. We're on Hawaii's big island, and the Kilauea volcano erupted on Thursday. After that, uh, I know they had to evacuate the area known as Leilani Estates. There's these fissures opening up all in the ground with lava and magma spewing out. What's going on out there? It's a very wait-and-watch kind of situation. With these fissures, they're very unpredictable. So officials have been keeping residents on as up-to-date as possible with where the fissures are opening. There will be periods where hours will go by before a fissure opens and spews out lava, and then... Other times, fissures will open within half an hour of each other, and there will be two active uh, fissures. How big are these fissures? I, I don't really think a lot of people understand what it looks like when the earth opens up and lava comes out of it. I mean, we've seen a lot of dramatic videos, but it's really just the lava stuff. We can't see how big these cracks are in the ground. Yeah, definitely. So these fissures, they actually start off as small cracks in the road. Scientists say that that's a great indicator that something else could be coming, something larger. And from the small cracks, they eventually grow larger and larger. And I'm, I'm looking at a photo right now. It shows one fissure show covering completely two, three blocks in the subdivision. So it's, these things can be really massive. Others can be really small. And there's a difference between the typical lava flow and the fissures. The difference with flow and a fissure is the lava flow, it, like an excess of lava that's overflowing from a central point, like the volcano. With these fissures, it's a little different in the sense that it does come from a central crack in the earth, but what's different is that these fissures are so unpredictable, they can pop up anywhere. The lava will flow out of them, and the only time that it can flow is if there's enough lava to basically overflow itself and just keep growing and growing. I've seen that there's as many as 10 fissures open, and they're not all active. At, you know, Some of them have died down a little bit. How far apart are they from each other? Oh, that's a good question. So they cover almost the entire 
Leilani Estates. I don't have an exact acreage size, but I'm looking at our map, and there's about 1,700 people that live in Leilani Estates. And along the East Rift Zone, which is a underground path for lava, it's spanning from the southern tip of the neighborhood all the way to the eastern side, which I would consider is about, oh, maybe five miles apart. But from where the furthest fissure from the Kilauea volcano source is, that's 25 miles. So from Kilauea to the fissures, there's a longer distance. But within the Leilani Estates neighborhood, it's, it's much closer. Can you describe to me what Leilani Estates looks like? Is it, It's mostly locals that live there. A lot of homes are spaced out. It's a very large area. Hawaii Island is the biggest of the islands, and so there's a lot of greenery there. It's not it's not a city at all. It's very laid-back town, really relaxed. And so when these fishers started opening on Thursday, residents weren't too concerned, but um, as more and more fishers opened up and there were reports of home, homes damaged, that's when uh, residents started to become a little bit more alarmed. I've seen that Kilauea is the youngest and most active volcano in the area. Is this something that residents kind of... I mean, not that they deal with constantly fissures opening in the ground, but they know where they live. They know that it's an active volcano. This is something they live with every day. Yeah, and that's something that, you know, many people have asked. If you know the threat for lava is there, why build a home there? That's part of our local culture here is that we understand the risk. It's a beautiful place to live, but I don't know if you folks are familiar with Madame Pele. She is the... Um, folklore fire goddess that everybody respects. You know, yes. traditions are very important here in Hawaii, and, and we've spoken to multiple people who say that Pele's just doing what she does. She's cleaning house, and it's ultimately her land in the end. And so if that means we have to evacuate, and if we lose our home, so be it, because we respect Pele, and we're, when she's, she's going to do what she has to do. It's kind of reassuring to hear that almost, you know, we're here in California, a lot of times we deal with forest fires, and people are very hesitant to leave their homes a lot of time. Mm -hmm. So obviously this is a cultural thing too, but if you see that the ground is shaking and things are happening, you know, it's very smart to always get out of there. And it's not always the case out over here in California when fires are happening, people don't want to abandon their homes. Mm -hmm. And actually, there have been some reports of people also here who haven't wanted to leave their homes. But again, officials are continuously reminding residents, this is a mandatory evacuation situation. If you choose not to leave, officials and emergency crews may not be able to rescue you. And one of the main concerns is the release of this sulfur dioxide coming from the fissures and, yeah. and just in the general area. I, I, it feels like that's more of a concern than the actual fissures popping up. Uh, yeah, that, that is a little bit wider of a concern because it is carried and dispersed through the air. So depending on how long this goes and how much sulfur dioxide is emitted into the air, maybe the entire state could begin to see the effects. It doesn't look like that right now, but in the past we have this thing called Kona winds where winds sweep up all the volcanic fog and haze all across the state. And here on Oahu, that can be heavy sometimes. You say these winds can be carried across the state, so you, you mean from other islands they could also be impacted? Yes, that doesn't seem to be the case right now, but again, in the past, when Kilauea has been active, the fog and the haze, it, it gets blanketed throughout the state if the winds are just right. I know that where all this is happening is very close to Hawaii Volcanoes National Park. Do a lot of tourists make their way out there? 
Definitely. Uh, we spoke to some tourists yesterday who were a little disappointed that the parks were closed, but again, it's a matter of safety. It's a, it's a very large park, and it's a very... <laughs> for lack of better words, a hot spot for tourism. Right, well, that's what they're there for, uh, uh, to yeah. see a, a volcano, I'm assuming, but yeah. safety yeah. first. Safety first, definitely. And what have uh, geologists said about how much longer we can expect this to last? You know, they wish they could provide us a more definite timeline, but again, this is a very unpredictable situation. It, it could go on for days, it could go on for months, by the looks of it. All the lava that was once in the crater, Halema'uma'u crater, the level of that lava has drained dramatically. And so scientists are saying, where is this lava going? They're doing their best to track that. They have put more GPS and seismic monitors throughout the East Rift Zone, through the Pune District. And so they're doing their best to stay on top of that. But again, it's it's nearly impossible to predict how right. long when it will go. So the fear is that with that crater draining, that lava is going to go somewhere and it might cause more fissures or, you know, it's going to end up somewhere where it can be making more of an impact again. Yes, definitely. Wow. Definitely. All right. Dylan Ancheta for Hawaii News Now. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much. Aloha. All right, that's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Follow The Daily Dive on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this was your Daily Dive. Daily Dive.